chapter 11, verse 16. Two Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even as you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with, fool, bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For if you bear it with someone who makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you, put airs or strikes you in the face, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I'm not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. To God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows I am not lying. At Damascus, the king, the governor under King Artus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window and the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. But in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, but in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears in me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am con content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong.
Thanks very much, Joel. Thanks for reading. Um, I don't know about you, but um, I found that at work, there are certain leaders that uh, we really want to get behind, that we really want to back, that we would support and follow anywhere. And then there are just other leaders at work who we wouldn't follow out of a wet paper bag. So what sort of leader do you follow? I've got two candidates for a new CEO for you there. Um, which would you back, A or B? I look at candidate A, they're a super speaker, they're super charismatic, they've got endless endorsements from elite firms. Overall, they're super impressive. Uh, or you've got candidate B. Candidate B, when it comes to speaking, they stutter, read off notes. Personality-wise, didn't even notice they're in the room. No endorsements, the previous firm fired them in fact, and they're not just unimpressive, they're embarrassing. And so who would you back? Candidate A or candidate B? Uh, but what if they weren't just CEOs, but church leaders, ministers? Minister A, Minister B, who would you prefer? If you're like me, then probably Minister A, but this is not just a hypothetical. This is a real world choice. Uh, in the modern day, we can any given Sunday, get in the car, get on the train, vote with our feet, go to any church we choose, with any church leader we choose. And when it comes to workplace ministry, well, there's probably not as many choices. There might not be many to choose from. And so will we back them at all? Uh, if we had the choice, which workplace ministry leader would we support? Candidate A, candidate B. And if you've been with us in our two Corinthians series, uh, then you know that actually this is the same choice that's facing the Corinthian church. Which leader are they going to back? A, the super apostles, or B, Paul? And what we saw last week was that we're to reject the super apostles, column A, and embrace Paul, column B. But think about who Paul is in their eyes. This is the accusation leveled against Paul, that his speech is of no account, He's bold in letters, but unimpressive in person. The, the Corinthian church is threatening to disown him, and he's facing prison and persecution wherever he goes. In one word, he's weak. So why on earth would you back him? Why would we want to back a Christian leader like Colin B? Why should we in our church and workplace ministry? Well, the answer from God's word today is, and it's on the handout there, God's power is perfect, made perfect in their weakness. God's power is made perfect in weakness. And in our passage, Paul gives himself as the perfect example of how God's power is made perfect in human weakness. And he's going to show us this by showing that he could boast in his extraordinary strength, but he'll only boast in his weakness. He'll do that twice, and then he's going to explain why. But before he does that, he's going to caveat, he's going to qualify what he's going to say. And if you've ever had the experience of trying to explain something to someone with a totally different mindset, with a totally different point of view, then you'll get what Paul's trying to do here in verses 16 to 21. I'll read verses 16. <clears throat> I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. Paul is the uh, management consultant talking money to the client who only understands the bottom line so that they, their mindset can be changed and overturned. 
And see, when it comes to choosing their church leader, the Corinthians have adopted the corporate mindset. They're stuck in the worldly point of view. They pick their church leader the way a board of directors would pick their CEO. Strength, power, personality. So Paul says, fine, you, don't, you only understand that. I'm going to speak to you in a way you understand. I'm going to speak to you like a worldly fool. But then the thing is that as we read on verses 19 to 21, Paul says, don't you realize, don't you realize that these worldly fools you put up with, these super apostles, these guys who boast in their strength, they're actually abusers. They enslave you. They devour you. They take advantage of you. They hit you in the face. These ministers who boast in their strength, they're abusers, not apostles. But abusive strength is not Paul's way. No, he says, ironically, he's too weak to be an abuser. And he shows us this by showing us that he could boast like these worldly, foolish super apostles. He could boast in his strength, but he's only going to boast in his weakness. And that's point number one there. Let me read from verse 21. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. See, Paul says he could boast in his pedigree. Hebrew, Israelite, offspring of Abraham. He's Oxbridge with a first. His chartership in a breeze. Ascent up the organizational chart. Astronomic. Part number 430. He could boast in his pedigree, but he won't. He could even boast in his servanthood. Are they a servant of Christ? I'm a better one. And what we need to remember that is that in the Bible, being called a servant of God is the highest honor. Abraham, Moses, David, servants of God. But here's a twist. His servant status is not about his strength, but his weakness. It's about his suffering servant status. He says, I'm a better servant of Christ because my service looks like the suffering service of Christ. And I've got the marks on my body to prove it, the scars that show it. Verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is indignant? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? See, Paul has the marks of a suffering servant. And you can imagine, actually, the super apostles, maybe they might even be sort of agreeing with this because overcoming adversity was, in the ancient world was an admirable thing. The Stoics applauded it. But the thing is, Paul's not talking about overcoming adversity. He's talking about just plain suffering. He's talking not about his strength to overcome adversity. He's just talking about his weakness. See, Paul could boast in his strength. He could. But verse 30 if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. See, Paul could boast like the super apostles, his pedigree, his strength, his servant credentials, 
but he won't. He'll boast only in his weakness. So the question is, why? Why would you give all that up and only boast in weakness? Why would you do that? Well, the answer is because of the turning point of his life, which was the Damascus basket experience. Now, you've heard of the Damascus road experience, uh, but Paul only boasts in his Damascus basket experience. He speaks about it in verses uh, 31 to 33. Because for him, this was the paradigm shifting moment in his career. Maybe you've had uh, a moment like that, a moment that shapes your mindset for the rest of your career, changes the paradigm. Maybe it's a book or a conference or a conversation with someone or experience with a client, whatever it was, it changed your mindset for the rest of your life. And that was the moment for Paul in Damascus. See, the thing is, Paul went to Damascus, if you read in Acts. He went to Damascus, the great Pharisee from Tarsus, letters of recommendation from all the synagogues. But then he met Jesus. He became a servant of Jesus. And he left Damascus stuffed in a wicker basket, bundled out through a window, on the run like a common criminal, hunted by the authorities that once bowed to him. So the Damascus basket experience was paradigmatic for Paul because he realized that this would be the pattern of the rest of his life, of the rest of his service for Jesus would be persecuted, yet not captured, stuffed in a suitcase, yet safe by God's strength, his weakness, yet God's power, God's power in Paul's weakness. And so why would we, we're beginning to answer the question, why would we embrace a weak uh, Christian leader? We'll look at Paul's example, his personal example, God's power in human weakness. And uh, Paul here could have easily just rested his case. He could have sat down and said, I rest my case. He could, but like a champion boxer, like Tyson Fury, uh, he wants to land the knockout punch. He wants his opponent to stay down. And we're on point number two here. And here Paul goes for the jugular. Let me read verses two to four. Uh, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And Paul, so Paul veils his boast here. He says, it happened to my friend. You know, that thing where you go, I have a friend who, that's actually you. That's what Paul's doing here. But talking about the visions and revelations he had, this is exactly what the super apostles would have boasted in. You can bet if they had a vision, it'd be on the front page of their website, be the top of their CV. And it's not just a vision, it's a supervision. So ecstatic, he wasn't even sure if he was in or out of the body. So elevated, he went up to the third heaven, the highest heaven. It's a supervision. But Paul is reticent, right? Verse five, on behalf of this man, I will not boast. But on my own behalf, sorry, on behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except in my weakness. But why, Paul? Like, why? Why would you only boast in your weakness when you could boast in your strength? People would sit up and pay attention to you. The answer is verse seven. 
so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. We've had the Damascus basket experience. Now we've got the thorn in the flesh experience. And Paul's boast in this experience is nuts. It's like boasting of the time uh, you hit rock bottom, spiraled into deep depression. The thing that Paul gladly boasts in is the thing that stopped him becoming conceited, stopped him becoming a super apostle. It's a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. And just a quick note on this. There's so many different theories. Maybe it's a physical illness, a sexual temptation, a false prophet harassing him. Not, I'm not sure we can be sure. I think if Paul wanted us to know, uh, he'd make it a bit clearer. What the thorn is, is not the point. But what happened next is. Paul pleaded three times that God would remove the thorn. And this is what God said in response. And it was paradigm forming. It was mindset shaping. Verse nine. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And this, this was the moment of clarity that Paul needed in order to keep going, to keep suffering, to keep working as a new covenant minister. Because he came to realize that God wanted Paul to be a grace-fueled vehicle, a grace-filled vessel. Paul said, uh, God says to Paul, my grace my undeserved forgiveness of you, given in the death of Jesus, that, that will be enough for you to keep you going, to keep you going through suffering, to finish the job. And if we're here and we're not yet trusting Jesus, can you see the incredible privilege of belonging to him? His undeserved forgiveness, his grace, will be our supply even in our darkest moments. See, in Paul, we see God's power made perfect in a weak man stripped of all his strength. And I wonder if that sounds familiar. Well, it ought to remind us of someone, the Lord Jesus, stripped of all his strength at his weakest, crucified on a Roman cross, and yet at his weakness, weakest, God's power made perfect on full display. See, Paul's experience of New Covenant ministry, weak as it is, is just like Jesus' experience. One billion watts of power shining through a cracked clay jar. Um, and this is not just some cute Christian sentiment. This is true power. I think about how much the world around us has changed as a result of the weakness uh, of Paul's ministry, as a result of the weakness of Christ crucified. The world immeasurably, irrevocably changed through weakness. God's billion watt power in cracked clay jars. And that's why, now we understand, that is why Paul will boast all the more gladly of his weakness. Not just boast, not just gladly boast, all the more gladly boasts in his weakness. And so he's content, verse 10, with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. 
because when he is weak, then God makes him strong, strong enough to keep going in new covenant ministry. Um, and so the old hymn goes, when through fiery trials your pathways shall lie, my grace all-sufficient will be your supply. You know, Paul could have written that. My grace all-sufficient will be your supply. Well, we started off by asking the question, uh, which Christian leader would we back? And we asked why we would even bother to back weak, suffering Christian leaders. But a better question as we wrap up is, do we want to see God's power? That's a better question. Do we want to see God's power on full display? His power made perfect. The world truly transformed. People reconciled to Jesus. Good news extending to the ends of the earth. Do we want to see that? Well, then look no further than the weak new covenant minister. God's grace-fueled vehicle, God's grace-fueled vessel to accomplish that, a world reconciled to God. And I think there's two big implications here, <clears throat> firstly for our ministers and then for ourselves. And so for our ministers, I think well, we, in light of this passage, we ought to embrace weak, suffering Christian leaders. And I think this is really hard. I personally have struggled with this a lot because I think we subtly apply the corporate mindset, the world's mindset to how we choose Christian leaders. Uh, to pick Christian leaders the way companies pick CEOs. And there's nothing wrong with good speakers with charisma. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But they are not essential criteria. Uh, but they are not marks of a true Christian leader. But weakness is. Weakness is an essential criterion. Suffering weakness is. And so we need to be careful not to back ministers on the basis of their oratory, uh, but to look beyond outward, outward impressiveness and beyond that, do they embody this pattern of new covenant ministry? Do they embody the pattern of suffering service, power, God's power in their weakness? Are they sustained only by God's grace? Well, that's uh, ministers, but for ourselves, this passage also ought to shape the way we think about ourselves. Um, the pattern of our Christian leaders is the same pattern that we follow as followers of the Lord Jesus. And so are we on board with this pattern of suffering, of weakness? Confess, this is also a real struggle for me. To, I've struggled with this as I've read it. You know, I'm going back to the workplace soon, uh, London Bridge as a physio, to do workplace ministry just like you are. And I've been asking myself, do I really want to be content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, persecutions and calamities? I mean, that is about as appealing to me as watching England win the ashes. And yet, and yet, do we realize that in gospel ministry, it is exactly at the point when we are weakest and that God's incomparable power is on full display. That it's only when we're weak and that God makes us indestructibly strong. I mean, what a relief. What a relief that we don't need to be powerful or impressive or even put together uh, to win people for Jesus. And see, when we are weak in the office, when we are suffering cold indifference, uh, polite apathy, maybe even insult, when we answer a question really badly, when we can't remember a good Bible verse, when we feel as if our gospel is just so unbelievable, uh, when we are weak, that's when God's power kicks in and helps us to do new covenant ministry.
And so we have this treasure in jars of clay. God's power made perfect in our weakness. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the example of Paul, of your power in his weakness. We do pray that we would willingly embrace weak new covenant ministers and um, follow that pattern ourselves. Please, would, you be, would your grace be all our supply? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.